and, and companies work on uh, customer service because they know that just one person complaining, they'll, they'll tell dozens of people about, oh, I had bad experience there, puts people off. Um, really smart companies actually train their employees to put it right rather than have to get the manager out. So they'll actually empower their employees to be able to rectify uh, when stuff goes wrong. I want to suggest that we are actually employees of God. Uh, the New Testament writers continually, when they wrote, if you read the New Testament, they always say we are servants, um, servants of the Most High God, servants of Jesus Christ. Well, we tend to think of servants like Downton's Abbey, or I don't know Downton Abbey because my wife loves watching it, but you know, we tend to, servants, we don't tend to use that word uh, anymore, but I think we understand the word employee, uh, and it's not a bad equivalent. I think we're employed by God, and customer service is at the very heart of the kingdom of God. Um, our customers are other believers, and then whoever we come across, uh, locally and internationally, but service is at the very core of the kingdom. It's not something exceptional, uh, it's the norm. And Jesus makes this really clear in a little story that he told, and um, last Sunday night I told this story to Jeff, who was preaching here last Sunday, and to Nick, who was on PowerPoint, and they reckoned I'd made up the story, that wasn't any story in the Bible, like this. Um, they said, you've just made up a parable. It's not true. Um, and I told the story to Roz, actually, at, uh, at home group, and she also thought I'd made it up and called it the story of the good wife. Um, I hadn't made it up, and it's not called the parable of the good wife either. Uh, it's found in Luke 17, and it's fairly obscure because it's sort of just found in the middle of a passage. The passage before it and the passage after it sort of don't relate to it. So it's a bit sort of random. Uh, it says, Jesus said, suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Would you, take out, uh, would you take his coat, set the table and say, sit down and eat? Wouldn't you be more likely to say, prepare dinner, change your clothes and wait table for me until I finish my coffee, then go to the kitchen and have your supper? Does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same for you. Uh, with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter-of-fact and say, the work is done. What we are told to do, we did. Now, very different context uh, in terms of expectations of servants and whatnot. Um, but I think, I think that Jesus is saying in this little story that servanthood is not something we sort of do a little bit of. Uh, you know, we, we serve in some way and expect praise for it. It's just the norm. Uh, it's what's expected of a follower of Jesus. Because you see, if you work for a company and the company talks about customer service all the time and how important it is, then you make sure you look after the customer because that's what the boss expects and you want to keep your job. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from your heart. Um, when you leave um, at the end of your day's work, you can go home and be as self-centered and selfish as you like. It's not necessarily coming out of the heart. But if we understand the fact we're employees of God, we're actually employees 24 hours a day. Uh, it's not just something we do sometimes on a Sunday or some other day. Um, it's not something we do because we have to do it. Uh, we don't serve some people, not others. The attitude of service comes out of the fact that we follow a God who is a servant. It comes out of gratitude and it comes out of a heart that's changed. Now, the trouble with heart change or the issue of the heart and service coming out of the heart is that that's quite challenging because it's not natural for us. Um, it fights at the very core of who I am. 
uh, my purpose, my identity, my attitude to others, all of it fights against this idea of service. The first thing is that service challenges our purpose. So what is your purpose in life? I mean, it's a really great question to ask. Uh, it doesn't say, what actually am I trying to do with my life? What, what is life about? Uh, even to write down a statement, what is my purpose in life? Hundreds of books written about this. Uh, Rick Warren says that, you know, God didn't create us to get stuff out of life. God created us to add to life. God created you, God brought you into his family so you could add to life, not take from it. We're created for service. Ephesians 2.10 says, God made us what we are. He's created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he has prepared for us to do. He's created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. When we serve others, we're serving God. We're designed to serve others. Um, We don't serve others in order to become a follower of Jesus, but as a follower of Jesus, uh, we serve others. And when we serve, this is what the Bible says is our ministry. Now, typically, when people hear the word ministry, they think, oh, it's preaching and praying and stuff like that. That's what ministry is. So a minister is someone that does that stuff. Um, Someone's got some special call in their life, and, and so they're designated to be a minister. Total, total misunderstanding of the word. In fact, Jesus clearly said, don't let people give you titles. Don't let them call yourself reverend or pastor or anything like that. Um, because the word minister, uh, sorry, ministry simply means service. Service to God. That's what it is. Ministry is service to God. So a minister is a servant. Uh, a minister is someone who serves. You can't be in ministry part-time. We're in full-time ministry. You can't retire from ministry. You can retire from a job. You can't retire from ministry. It's not possible. You can't actually be a Christian and not serve. It's just an oxymoron. Uh, Christians are people who serve God. The Bible compares uh, the church to like a body. Um, you imagine one day the liver wakes up and says, ah, oh, you know, I'm sick of being a liver today. Um, I might give it a break. Um, Someone else can do it. I've done it for ages. I'll take a year off from being a liver. You know, I need to look after myself. Uh, well, actually, your body would stop functioning. You, you wouldn't be alive. Uh, the same in the church. The church actually doesn't function until every believer understands they're a minister called to serve. You think, well, any pastors get special call, you know, to be ministers? No, totally wrong again. Um, you know, we're all called uh, to serve. Who are we to serve? We're to serve our spouses, uh, we're to serve other believers. That's why God places in, in churches. Uh, God, uh, we're to serve in our workplace. And we're to serve the community and the world. Charles Spurgeon says this, he who, uh, famous preacher from the past, he who does not serve God where he is would not serve God anywhere else. He who does not serve God where he is would not serve God anywhere else. That is, God has placed you. God has placed you in your workplace, in your street, uh, wherever. God, in your school, God has placed you there in order to serve. We think, oh, you know, God will call me to some special assignment to serve him. No, serve God where you are. When we're serving the community, the Bible says we're to be salt and light in the community. We are to serve uh, the underprivileged, the poor, the broken, the widows, the refugees. 
It's interesting, Chuck Colson um, talked about in Russia, 1917, the communists came into power and they uh, wrote in their constitution that religion, there was freedom of religion in Russia. However, they banned the church from doing any good works. So the church could not be involved in education, they couldn't be involved in helping the poor, they couldn't be uh, involved in any of that stuff uh, that traditionally they'd done. Seventy years later, the church was largely irrelevant to the community. It lost relevance to the community. Uh, now, why the communists thought to do that, I don't know. Um, but the church had become irrelevant to those around it. Would anyone notice if this church was suddenly not there? We stopped. We won't notice that we've stopped. We won't notice if this church, not the building, but us as a people, uh, would we notice? Would it notice? Interesting question to think about. Would the community notice if this church no longer was there? I'm going to ask Derek and, um, and Gavin to come and share uh, about some stuff that we are doing to just look at how we can serve the community. So, um, yeah. It's getting fast yeah, instructions. Gavin's getting his photos up, so uh, I may as well start. He took... So talk about uh, Helping Hands and some of the stuff we've done and uh, what Helping Hands is about, why we've done that. And, um... Well, it started for me last year with
Thanks, Gil. He's a Colombian refugee. Referred to us by Red Cross, and he's pretty good on a chainsaw. So we love having him. He's learning uh, English, and we're uh, trying to learn Spanish. <laughs> cool. So, so that's just a little example um, yeah, of, of serving. One of the things about service is it actually challenges our identity of who we are. If we're not secure in who we are, then it's actually really difficult to serve, to genuinely serve. Um, if you think, oh, I've been in this church 20 years, you know, I'm going to do something like that. You know, um, so it actually, we have to be secure in who we are. When I was at Eastside, planning Eastside Baptist uh, in the early days, there was a guy there, Norman uh, McIntosh, who's in his 80s, retired missionary. And Norman just loved to serve. And he'd be, he'd be the first there on Sunday morning helping us um, young ones set up the church. We had to set it up uh, each week. And uh, he said, we used to, he had angina. So he used to be petrified, he'd have a heart attack, you know. So he said, oh, no, Norman. But he, he said, no, I want to serve. I don't care, you know, I just want to help serve. Just a tremendous attitude of serving. I remember um, when I went from Eastside to Topol um, and um, had a team uh, in Topol, so I was the, the senior leader or senior pastor, and um, uh, the, uh, the admin lady used to make coffee. Uh, I thought, this is great, you know, when you're a sole pastor, no one makes you coffee. You can make your own coffee. Um, so, you know, she'd make coffee. This is great. Get coffee served. Um, it, must be, it must be important, you know, that's someone who makes me coffee now. This is great. Uh, and after a couple of months, I sort of felt this check in my heart about this, and I thought, you know, I like being served. I like having my coffee brought to me. But, but what example am I doing um, for, in terms of for the team? How was I actually serving the team? What was happening in my heart? We like being served. Sometimes we like being served because we want to get other people's approval. So, so we find ourselves drawn to roles which are up front or get recognition. But we can't truly serve until we're secure in who we are. Many of you know the well-known story of Jesus uh, washing the disciples' feet. Last supper, um, they'd come in from dusty roads. In those days, people wore sandals. You'd take your sandals off. Um, and normally a servant would wash people's feet. It's not a lot of fun, but... Um, the person who was sort of the bottom of the rank would wash people's feet. Disciples weren't going to do that. They didn't want to. There was no servant around. None of the disciples were volunteering. So in the end, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he says, look, I've set an example of what I want you to do. But it's a really interesting verse just before uh, he did this. It says, Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and he had come from God and would return to God. So, it says, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet. Why is that verse in there, that, that bit beforehand? I think it's saying that Jesus was totally secure in his identity. He didn't need to prove anything. He knew uh, he was God. Uh, he knew he'd come from God. He was loved by God. He returned to God. Uh, he knew who he was. And so... He didn't have anything to prove, anything to lose. Uh, he could serve. So my challenge for you this week is uh, to do an act of service that no one will ever find out about. All right? You'll never get any thanks for it. It's actually harder to do than you think because we actually really like getting approval. We like 
someone saying thank you. So my challenge to you is to find an act of service to do that you will not get thanked for and probably no one will know uh, that you did it. I remember early on in our marriage, we had young kids. Um, Roz, uh, my wife, um, used to work two days a week. One day the kids would go to grandma and I looked after them the other day. And so um, I uh, look after the kids, um, do a bit of housework uh, and cook tea that night. But there was one job that both of us hated doing and that was doing ironing. For some reason we used to do a lot more ironing than we do now. We don't iron much now. <laughs> but anyway. So um, no one would do the ironing because no one liked that job. So just pile up. No one wanted to do it. Um, we'd have arguments about who was going to do it. Um, so um, one day I was sort of uh, feeling particularly virtuous and decided I would do all the ironing. It's a huge big pile there. I'd do all the ironing. And so did all the other jobs, cooked tea, and had done all the ironing. And Ros gets home and uh, thought, you know, I'll get lots of, lots of uh, credit on the bank here because uh, I've done all the ironing. Uh, could be a good night. And um, she got home. I don't know whether she had a bad day or whatever. Did not notice the ironing done at all. So anyway served tea, cleaned up afterwards, still didn't notice the ironing. Wandered around the house, still didn't notice the ironing. Killed me, absolutely killed me. Got to the end of the end when we went to bed, I just couldn't stand it any longer. So I had to point out the fact I'd done the ironing. It's like, I could not stand this any longer. Honey, you notice there's no ironing around. You know why? Well, I wanted, I wanted Ros's approval. I wanted her to notice that I'd done this. True servanthood does not look to be noticed. It doesn't look for approval from others. Our motivation to serve is because we're followers of Jesus Christ. I love this quote by Bill Johnson. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. We are children of God. So on one hand, we've got the absolute highest position possible. We're loved by God, we're children of God, we're sons and daughters of God. Half the time, we don't understand the incredible status that we have. On the other hand, we also don't realize that we're called to serve. On one hand, uh, we need to elevate our understanding of who we are. On the other hand, we need to learn what it means to serve. Lastly, servanthood uh, or serving service challenges our, um, our attitude of how we relate to people. Because our default attitude is, what's best for me? What can I get out of this? Uh, how can I look out for myself? And, you know, one thing I've noticed over, I've been in ministry now, it's 26, 27 years, is that increasingly church has become this consumer product. It's a consumer product. Uh, so what can I get out of this place? Uh, is it suiting me? Oh, I don't like the preacher. Oh, I don't like the worship. Oh, whatever. Um, are my needs being met? Uh, do I enjoy this or that? So, so church is just this consumer product. Church was never designed to be a consumer product. <laughs> that, is, that is just the total antithesis um, of what church is meant to be. Paul said, our attitude should be like Jesus, Philippians 2, who emptied himself and became a servant. Imagine if every person that came on a Sunday uh, to church, their attitude was, what can I do to serve? What needs are there around here? Who is there that I can encourage? Who is there that needs taken out for supper or whatever? What are the needs around this place? How does this place work? What difference would it make in your workplace if your primary motivation was, what can I do to serve around here? Who can I encourage? What can I do to serve this place? 
and make it better. Imagine if our attitude as we woke up in the morning was, God, how can I serve you today? God, I'm open to serving you. Whatever you want me to do. Dwight Moody said, there are many of us who are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. It's very true. Sometimes we want great, grand things to do. Um, But our attitude is challenged when we're asked to do something small, something insignificant, something we might think is below us. What if God's saying, I want you to love that person at work that no one really likes and actually isn't very good at their job. I want you to help them to be the very best at their job. It's not my job, God. I want to save the world. I want to, I don't know, make a difference. That person's beyond hope. I can't stand them anyway. Um, They'll never change. What's the point? When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he did it because no one else would do it. He didn't didn't think, well, I'm God. Someone should serve me. I'm rabbi. I'm the master. I'm the senior pastor around this place. Someone should wash my feet. No, no, no. He took on the job that no one else wanted to do. I think there's, there's many examples around this church of people who serve. Um, you know, I mentioned some of them this morning. Uh, some of their sound guys. Um, uh, Richard was on this morning. What time were you here, Richard? Eh? Half eight. He's been here twice today. Um, Andre, when I arrived, Andre was up the ladder. It's like, what are you doing up there, Andre? Oh, he's fixing the speaker because it had blown. Uh, so he spent three or four hours fixing the speaker. Um, our children's ministry team. Um, people that come and vacuum the auditorium, so it looks nice. I was thinking about this, um, this whole service thing, and if we truly, as a church, got it in our DNA about this whole service concept. I think people who served Corin um, last year uh, helped... Um, put on lunches for the, um, who you put on lunches for? Leaders. The church leaders, that's the one. Yeah, the church leaders. I knew I'd think of it. The church leaders. It's her act of service and worship. Anyway, I was thinking about this whole service thing. What would be the evidence uh, of, of a church that had truly got uh, this idea of service? I know that you might think it's a bit silly, but I decided that one evidence would be that there'd be a waiting list to do communion preparation. All right? This is currently in the morning. Uh, well, actually, we do it ourselves at night. But in the morning, there's two people that uh, do communion preparation. Now, it's not really a difficult job. You squeeze this little bottle and fill up all the communion things. It takes half an hour. You wash the dishes afterwards. Um, it's not glamorous. No one will thank you. Because um, we just expect when we come to church, oh, there's communion. Um, but actually, someone's prepared it. I decided there'd be a waiting list to do communion because it'd be such an easy job and we'd want to serve one another, there'd be a waiting list to do it. I also decided that the church cleaning roster, um, there's a small, some cleaning teams that come in. I think, how many teams are there currently? Four? Four teams? Cleaning teams. Twelve teams. Twelve couples. Yeah, I decided that actually you'd only do cleaning once a year because there'd be that many volunteers for it. Um, and these are just things we take for granted in a church context. Um, and a flat is a bit like a flat. If you remember when you went flatting, you know, you can't have a flat where you just turn up to the flat and say, well, I'll pay the rent, but don't expect me to do anything else. Don't expect me to cook the meals. Don't expect me to do any cleaning around the place, but I'll pay the rent. 
Um, I think sometimes we have an expectation of church like that. Uh, we have this little thing called um, grace meals in this church where people cook meals, we stick them in a fr- we've got some big freezers out the back, and we give out those meals to people who've had babies or people that are struggling with sickness or whatever. Um, I decided that we'd have to keep writing in the newsletter on notices that just stop making grace meals. Please stop, because the freezers are full. Um, and we can't keep up anymore. Currently, the freezer is empty. Um, we'd be doing uh, these sort of helping hands projects uh, most Saturdays, because we'd got it. We'd got this DNA of service. Now, I, I know the examples are going to be very church-centric. Okay, but I'm a pastor, so I'm allowed to think that. Um, but, and I'm not saying that service only happens, you know, somehow, serving God sort of only happens in this building. Please, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but I, I'd have to make an assumption that if it was happening within uh, sort of those examples of church I've given, it's probably happening outside of that as well. Conversely, if it's not happening, uh, if we don't have a service sort of uh, attitude uh, in church, then, then I'd have to also assume that possibly it's not happening outside of that either. True test of maturity is not how much Bible knowledge you have. It's not how many years you've been a Christian. It's not whether you are an elder in the church or not. True test of maturity is how are you going being a servant? Are you growing in servanthood? Because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. I came not to be served, but to serve. So if a Christian is not serving, it's an oxymoron. Something's not right. Oswald Chambers said... The real test of a saint is not one's willingness to preach the gospel, but one's willingness to do something like washing the disciples' feet. That is, being willing to do those things that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count as everything to God. We are called to serve. It's a calling on our lives. It's a calling that challenges the core identity of our purpose, our identity, and our attitudes. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to die to self. Um, because service, um, a self, sorry, will stream at the idea of service. That's why Jesus said there's a cost to being a follower uh, of him. He, he never romanticized service. Being a servant will cost us. At times we'll be ripped off, not thanked, used. Uh, we will suffer. And always, almost always, it's never convenient to serve. It's one of the things I've discovered. It's never convenient to serve. Well, something else more important to do. It's never convenient to serve. But Jesus also said that every act of service we do, he sees and will be rewarded. Some suggestions up there of uh, how we can grow a service. Um, there's, if you're doing the wintering well, um, then uh, there's um, the paper notes so you can hook online. Um, hopefully you've been doing wintering well and um, there's also some sermon notes there. But uh, there's some ways that maybe you could start. But my, uh, if you want one practical thing to do this week, secretly do an act of service this week. And just take note of what's happening uh, within you, how hard or easy you find to do something, that uh, an act of service for someone uh, that will not, they'll not know who did it. Uh, so secretly do an act of service and just take note of what is happening within you. Are we going to close with the final song? So let's stand and pray, and uh, then we'll sing the final song. Let's stand for prayer.
Lord, we just acknowledge how easy it is to not serve, to just, um, yeah, to put our own needs first, to think about ourselves, to be that busy with our own stuff that we simply don't want to or don't make time to serve others. God, we confess that just often we, that life revolves around us. God, I pray that we would truly grasp what it means to serve you, to to serve and have an attitude of service as you did. Lord, this week I pray that there would just you would present us opportunities to, to serve, maybe in a really small way. Lord, we'll just be open to how we might serve those around us and just bless them because you're a God who has blessed us incredibly. So Lord, open our eyes to those opportunities to serve. In Jesus' name.